So Antinous spoke, and his words found favor among them. Then each one of them sent out a herald to bring back presents. One to Antinous carried a robe, very large and embroidered beautifully. Twelve brooches in all were fastened upon it, made out of gold, all fitted with clasps well bent for securing. One to Eurymachus straightway brought an elaborate necklace, golden and strung with pieces of amber, the sun it resembled. Two of Eurydimus' servants returned to him carrying earrings, each of three clustering droplets from which great glamour was shining. Then also from the Lord Paisander, the son of Polyctor, one of his servitors carried a necklace, a lovely adornment. Other magnificent presents were brought by the other Achaeans. Then did the splendor of women ascend to her upstairs chamber. Following her were the handmaids who carried the beautiful presents. They then turned their minds to the dance and delectable singing, playing to please themselves, and awaited the evening's onset. While they were taking their pleasure, the evening gloom came upon them. Straightway then they set three braziers up in the great hall, so that they might give light, and around them laid dry firewood, seasoned a long time, utterly parched, new split with a bronze axe. Mingled with them were the torches that steadfast-hearted Odysseus' maids took turns holding up for the light they gave, and among them he himself spoke, Zeus nourished Odysseus of many devices. Maids of Odysseus, the master who now so long has been absent, go along now back into the house where the august queen is. There at her side twist wool from the distaff, do her some pleasure, sitting with her in the chamber, or else with your hands card raw wool. Meanwhile, I will be furnishing light here for all of these people, even if they should desire to remain till the fair-throned morning. Never will they overcome me for I am devoutly enduring. So did he say. They broke out laughing and looked at each other. Shamefully then by Melantho of beautiful cheeks he was scolded, her whom Dalius fathered. Penelope saw to her welfare, bringing her up like a daughter and giving her toys to her liking. Yet even so in her mind was no thought of Penelope's sorrow. But with Eurymachus now she would mingle affection and make love. She it was who with words of reproach now scolded Odysseus. Impudent stranger, you must be a man whose wits have been knocked out. You do not wish to depart, go sleep at the house of the bronze smith, or at a public resort, but in this house here you are saying so many things among so many men so boldly and are not frightened at heart. Wine seizes your brains, or perhaps it is always this sort of mind you have, that you speak so idly and vainly. Are you beside yourself, that you beat down Iros the vagrant? Take heed, lest some other man better than Iros should stand up soon, who would beat you about your head with his heavy and huge hands, then send you from the palace defiled by many a bloodstain." Looking from lowering brows, said Odysseus of many devices. Soon I will go to Telemachus, bitch, and report to him there what words you have said, so that he might straightway cut you to pieces. So as he spoke, with his words he terrified all of the women. They went off through the house, and the limbs of each one became looser from the alarm, 
for they thought it the truth, these things he had spoken. He, meanwhile, stood there by the fiery braziers, keeping light while looking at all of the men, but the heart in his breast was pondering other proceedings that would not be unaccomplished. By no means did Athena permit that the arrogant suitors keep their deeds from heart-anguishing outrage, so even greater pain might enter the heart of Odysseus, the son of Laertes. It was Eurymachus, Polybus' son, who was first to address them. Speaking abuse of Odysseus, he roused his comrades to laughter. Listen to me, you who of the glorious queen are the suitors, so I can say such things as the heart in my breast is demanding. Not ungodly has this man come to the house of Odysseus. No, for it seems to me now that the light of the torches is coming from his own head, for on it is no hair, not even the slightest. Thus, and he also spoke to Odysseus, the sacker of cities. Stranger, would you be willing, if I should hire you, to labor out at the edge of the fields, and the pay I give will suffice you, gathering stones for the fences, and nurturing trees to grow taller? As for your bread there, I would provide you a regular portion, also dress you in clothes, for your feet I would furnish the sandals. But since mischievous actions are what you have learned, you will not be willing to come near work. Instead, you will want to go begging over the district in order to feed your insatiable belly. Speaking to him, then answered Odysseus of many devices, Would that a contest of labor, Eurymachus, might be between us, when in the springtime season the days grow longer and longer out in the meadow, and I would be holding a well-bent sickle, you would be holding the same, so that we could be tested at labor, keeping a fast till the evening shadows with plenty of grass there. Or if instead there were oxen to drive, they being the finest, tawny and huge in body, and both well filled with their fodder, equal in age and in plowing, the power in them not decrepit, Thus, over four full measures, the clods gave way to the plowshare. Then you would see whether I cut forth a continuous furrow. Or if the sign of Kronos should somewhere raise up a battle this very day, and a shield and two spears I had for the fighting, also a helmet entirely of bronze, well fitting my temples, then you would see me mingling in battle along with the foremost. Nor would you then make speeches to me, so abusing my belly. But you are most outrageous. The mind in you is unbending. Doubtless you think yourself to be someone weighty and potent, only because you consort with these few men, none of them noble. But if Odysseus should come and arrive in the land of his fathers, quickly indeed with the doors, although in fact very broad ones, be too narrow for you as you took flight out through the forecourt. So he spoke. In his heart was Eurymachus even more wrathful, looking from lowering brows, and in these winged words he addressed him. Wretch, I will soon cause evil to you for the way you are speaking. Such things now among so many men so boldly and are not frightened at heart. Wine seizes your brain, or perhaps it is always this sort of mind you have, that you speak so vainly and idly. Are you beside yourself that you beat down Iros the vagrant? So having spoken, he picked up a footstool, 
Quickly Odysseus sat at the knees of Amphinomus, lord of Dulichion, feeling fear of Eurymachus. It was the wine-server then that he struck on his right hand, so that onto the ground fell clanging the pitcher. As for the man, he fell on his back in the dust and was groaning. There in the shadowy hall were the suitors arousing an uproar. Thus would one of them say as he looked at another beside him. How I wish that the stranger had strayed elsewhere and before he came been killed. That way he would never have raised such tumult. Now that we quarrel about these beggars, no more in the noble banquet will there be pleasure, for ever the worst is the winner. Thus did the sacred strength of Telemachus speak and address them. You fools, you are demented and hide in your hearts no longer what you have eaten and drunk. It is one of the gods who has roused you. But having thus dined well, go away to your houses and lie down. When your own hearts bid you to do so, I drive away no man. So he spoke, and they all kept biting their lips with their teeth in wonder at hearing Telemachus now. He was talking so boldly. Then Amphinomus spoke and addressed them, giving them counsel. He was the glorious son of Lord Nisus, Aretius Sion. Friends, no man should become enraged at a thing that is spoken justly, and so use quarrelsome words when giving an answer. Do not at all maltreat this stranger, nor yet any other servant among those here in the palace of godlike Odysseus. But come now, let the wine-server pour the first drops in the goblets, so we can pour libation and go to our homes and our slumber. As for the stranger, let him go into the halls of Odysseus, now to Telemachus' care. It is his dear house he has come to. So did he say, and the word he spoke pleased all of the suitors. Doing their bidding, the hero Mulius mixed up a wine bowl, he the Dulichian herald, who was Amphinomus' servant. Then he passed it around to them all in order, and pouring offerings out to the fortunate gods, they drank of the sweet wine. When they had made libations and drunk whatever their hearts wished, then they departed to rest for the night, each one to his own house.